0: I remember did a lovely illustration of this psalm to go along with the paper. But, you know, during the piece, uh, it's hard not to, to see this psalm um, just being animated uh, as I look out and see you all greeting each other this morning. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity, like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the Mount of Zion. There the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. You think about that uh, psalm, perhaps, every time we offer each other the peace of Christ after communion, because that psalm is describing what you see and what you do, and, and uh, when you shake hands with somebody, that's what's happening. What an amazing gift. Okay, so my personal digression over. Um, I want to introduce to you. I know some of you met Laura already, but with attendance being kind of all over the map in the summer, um, I just wanted to reintroduce her and introduce you and introduce her fresh to some of you. Uh, Laura is here with her husband Aaron this morning, and one of their kids, Joanna, uh, is with them. Uh, Laura and Aaron were part of our church community quite a few years ago. Uh, Laura has been coming back to preach periodically as she is in um, a master's of divinity program at western seminary over in holland michigan she's a distance learner living in milwaukee Uh, but we celebrate her gift of preaching and want to give her opportunity uh, to continue to develop that but really uh, it's a gift to us and so we're really thankful to have laura back with us this morning laura come on up and preach
1: morning. It's nice to be with you all again this morning. This is my third time over this past season of preaching and just really appreciate you having me as I explore this season of God's calling and exploring uh, ministry and I'll be um, starting a internship for chaplaincy in the fall um, so I appreciate your prayers as I move into that phase and probably won't be back for a little while but I hope to be back again in the spring. So our verse this morning, I'm actually going to pick up at verse 21, um, which is at the top of the next page of your bulletin. Let's hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed from that moment. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we trust your Holy Spirit to teach us today. I pray that you would illumine your word, that we may encounter you in a new way this morning. We thank you that because of your love shown on the cross, we never have to question who you are, And because of that, we can struggle with difficult passages like this one without fear. Lord, we pray that in our wrestling, you would draw near to us. Amen. I want to begin our time together by getting to know the woman who's at the center of this passage. There's various clues from this account and from the account in Mark that tells us she's likely a wealthy woman. She, for example, has a bed, which we learn in Mark which is a luxury usually reserved only for the elite at that time. She's from Tyre and Sidon, which was a shipping and commerce center where the ruling class were wealthy but also relied on the exploitation of the farming land of the Jewish people from the surrounding areas. She's a Gentile, likely Greek-speaking, given her identification as a Syrophoenician woman in Mark's account, and she's desperate. A demon torments her daughter So desperate that she crosses economic lines to plead with a poor, rural, itinerant preacher. She crosses cultural barriers to ask for help from a Jewish man. And she dares as a woman to speak openly without invitation in a space reserved for men only. Her grief and her fear and her great faith compel her to put everything at risk to save her daughter, to have trust in something she cannot see. She calls him the son of David, identifying him for who he is, the Messiah. And she stands with a long line of faithful people who insisted that God be who he says he is. The lifeblood of this story is this mother. So much ink has been spilt to understand the words of Jesus in this passage, and for good reason. It's a really difficult passage, and Jesus speaks in a manner that we have a really hard time understanding. And so we'll get to his words, but we'll get to them later. But to get at the heart of this inspired account from Matthew, we have to start with this woman who has a stunning place in the center of this story. She is the one who progresses the interaction, first with her request, then with her refusal to be ignored, and in the end she goes away victorious, having been blessed by Jesus. Amazingly, in a passage famous for harsh words from Jesus, of seeming rejection and exclusion, It is in this woman that Jesus reveals the depth of God's love for all people and every kind of person. This unnamed woman is one of only two people in all of Matthew noted for their great faith. So first we'll look at what this desperate mother, the star of this story, has to teach us. And then we'll turn to what we learned from Jesus and how we might think about his difficult words. So let's start with this woman. First she asks for mercy calling Jesus the Son of David, acknowledging who He is the Messiah. And she's ignored. Then she kneels before Jesus in a pose of prayer, pleading, "Lord, help me." Finally, she returns his rebuff to speak the truth about who God is. She turns what Jesus on its, turns what Jesus says on, his, on its head. a story of perceived scarcity to a story of abundance. Even after the children are fed, there is abundant abundant bread for all. This woman pleads with God, naming who God is and reminding God of the promises that God has made. This isn't the first time that we've seen this pattern. Nearly half of all Psalms are lament Psalms, where the psalmist argues with God, demanding that God be who God says he is. Abraham, Moses, Job, the prophets, they all argue with God. Jacob quite literally wrestles with the angel of God. This story reminds us that God invites us not into shallow submission to him, but he calls us into real relationship with him. There's this classic joke, of course, that for newlyweds, with the first fight, the honeymoon is over, right? This means that the couple is no longer tiptoeing around each other, but being vulnerable enough to say what they need. They're trusting each other enough to say what's on their hearts. It comes from a place of commitment, a place of promise-making and promise-keeping. I can't quite remember my husband and my first fight when we, of married life. I'm pretty sure it had something to do with the assembly of an Ikea bookcase. Um I'm not totally sure, but I do remember that Aaron still loved me when it was all over. He wasn't going anywhere. It was okay. This relationship was real. This is what it means to be in relationship with God, to trust in God's promises, even when we're frustrated and angry with him. You see, Jesus' resistance to this woman pushes her to reveal her deep, deep faith. Her faith in things not seen, even in the face of Jesus' response right in front of her. Mysteriously, she knows who God is, and Jesus blesses her for it. This is not to say that Jesus' response to her is a test, not at all. But like Job and Abraham and David, the resistance that we face, or the silence, or the confusion... It's not a lesson or a punishment or to see if we'll fail. Sometimes we learn, sometimes we grow. Sometimes our faith is deepened in the face of silence. When was the last time you wrestled with God? My biggest argument with God was when I lost someone very close to me to substance use. He was in a place where things could go either way. Hitting bottom, there seemed to be hope. Maybe he'll turn it all around. There was a picture in front of me of what life might look like with him sober and healthy and well, but instead we lost him. I asked God why. If you love all your creation, why not give him more time to recover? I remember one night when I wrestled all night with God, and I still don't know the answer. 15 years later, I don't know. But I do know more about God's love about God's perseverance with me in my questioning. It invited me to ask wise people about the sovereignty of God. It brought me in many ways to this place right here today. I don't for a second believe that God caused this person to die. It wasn't a test for me or a lesson to be learned, but in my arguing, my faith did deepen, and I thank God for that. God was God. And that was what I needed to know. God can take my arguments and he can take yours. God invites them. For the Canaanite woman, to quote Hebrews 11, faith was the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. She believed God could and would heal her daughter, and not the silence or resistance from Jesus would change her mind. Jesus saw this and she was rewarded for her great faith. So now let's turn to the words of Jesus. It's harsh. There's no denying it. First he ignores her. Then he says his salvation is not for her. Then he refers to her metaphorically as a dog. Now there's some compelling theological reasons for what Jesus is doing doing here. And if you'll bear with me, it's important to explain them. Because it helps put some of what Jesus is saying in context so that we don't misunderstand his words. So I'm going to start there. God's way of saving the fallen world began with one person, Abraham, to whom a universal promise was made. Through you and your offspring, I will bless the nations. From Abraham is born an ancient people of God, Israel, whose prophets spoke of a promise to all people. Through God's people comes the blessing of nations. This comes to fruition in Jesus, who begins his mission to the Jewish people and then extends it out to all nations on the cross. Jesus is the culmination of the blessing to all people. Mysteriously, this woman, a Gentile, knows this. She calls on the son of David by name. Her exchange with Jesus becomes what John Calvin calls a prelude to the post-Easter commissioning. She represents an inbreaking of the blessing to come. First, to the Jewish people, than to all people of the earth. What Jesus is doing is broadening God's saving mission. He's opening the door for Gentiles. Because she is a Gentile, she symbolizes the struggle for Gentiles to participate in the full life of Christian communities. Now, I might ask then what it means that she's a woman. I think it's an important question worth considering if we're willing to consider the same, For the fact that she's a Gentile. This might seem like an aside, but if the passage is about the abundance of God's deep love for all people, every sort, we can't ignore the fact that she's not just a Gentile. She's a Gentile woman. Jesus could have had this exchange with anyone, but it was a Gentile woman. In a space reserved for men, it's a woman who has the faith to see Jesus for who he is. Jesus makes space for her argument. Matthew's inspired account makes space to recount this argument. Jesus hears her and honors her. He opens the door and broadens the gate to welcome every kind of person into full participation of God's family. So what does this theological discussion mean for us? I wish we had more time in this short homily, although maybe you don't think it's quite so short, um, to spend on these big picture themes. But the takeaway today is that Jesus is not just brushing this woman off. He has a point to make, and by giving her space to argue with him, to demand something of him, she, makes, she helps to make his argument. Her interaction with Jesus models God's way of saving the fallen world, beginning with one person, through a chosen people, to all people of faith. So now we get to the hard parts of this passage. There are arguments upon arguments trying to explain Jesus' harshness in a way that we feel comfortable with. One popular one is Jesus' revealing his humanity in his annoyed dismissal. But this argument only leads us down a path away from the character of God. Some downplay the comparison to a dog, saying it really means puppy or that it was a common term for Gentiles, but neither of those explanations excuse it, and so I won't either. I could brush past it or try to explain it, but I can't. And I promised myself I wouldn't avoid the most challenging part of this passage. Still, I haven't yet come across an honest and sufficient explanation to truly absolve Jesus of this affront. However, I do think there is a really important lesson here. One of my seminary professors likes to say that we must judge God by God's own self, by who God says he is, and who God reveals himself to be throughout history and through scripture. We can't measure God against one single verse or against our own modern understanding. So what do we know about our Lord? We know that God is unchanging. We know that God is love. We know God loves his creation and died on the cross out of love for each and every one of us. And we know that he loves this Canaanite woman. This is what we judge the statement against, and it doesn't change any of these unchangeable characteristics of God. And maybe this isn't a sufficient explanation for Jesus' words, but it's what I can offer that I know is true. Talking about a passage like this is challenging, but in all the commentary and speculation, the takeaways are clear. We can trust God's promises, even when God seems silent, even when what we hope for can't be seen. We can argue with God. God invites our hurts and our questions, our calling to account. This argument might even increase our faith. This story shows the power and possibility inherent in boldly insisting that God be who he says he is. That God keep and be faithful to his own promises. Abraham does it, David does it, this desperate mother does it, and so can we. This story shows us, too, that God's grace extends to the ends of the earth. As God's people, we are instruments in advancing that blessing. Week after week, we've been talking about what it means to take up Jesus' mission after his ascension. The Canaanite woman is a prelude to that mission. And this story asks us to question what it means for outsiders to be included in the family of God. Finally, this story invites us to consider the interplay of human initiative and divine will. The Canaanite woman is bold in her faith and her daughter is healed. God does not ask us to sit by and wait for his will. He calls on us to ask for what we need, to ask for intercession as an act of faith. God is listening. Amen. Thank you.